Well, hey, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming back for the second part of a, of a kind of an intense message, as it were, talking about how we love the community around us uh, even more than we love ourselves. As we moved through it last week, I'd mentioned there were a few things we were going to be looking at, and, and those, the, the subject matters really were knowledge and the understanding of Scripture and how that applies to, to the way we live our lives. And we talked about it's not a vegan faith. God isn't telling us you can't eat meat. Um, what he's telling us is understanding what that, that eating of meat is all about, and we looked at that. But then today, really what we're going to move into is this, is this matter of, of practical Christianity in an aggressively individualistic culture, in a culture where it seems that everybody's offended by every single thing, and it's easy to go to your Twitter feed or your Facebook and just explode on somebody if they've uh, crossed you in any way. And so what we want to do is begin to look at what we fill our minds with and how we interact with our community and with our neighbor, as scripture, as scripture says, in ways that bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And so as you were leaving last week, I asked you to go to the book of James and just engage that second chapter of James in preparation for today. I realize not everybody did that. That's okay. We're going to look at James. But really what I'm hoping we will do by the time we, we leave our message time today is have a practical way of applying this message to Corinth about eating or not eating meat to 21st century United States of America culture so that you can leave here today with some practical tools for living out your faith. So that's what we're going to try to do. As we go to the book of James, and we're in the second chapter, I'd like to read you three verses and then kind of engage three things that will help set us up today. Number one, the royal law is, your, is, is to love God and to love your neighbor. James said this in chapter 2, verse 8, if you really carry out all the royal law prescribed in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. And James is saying, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a hard thing to be honest about. Do we really love people as much as we love ourselves? Are we really willy? Are we really willing, there we go, to surrender our rights for the weaknesses of others? You see, that's a challenge because most of us will say, oh, sure, absolutely, in church, but then we go out away from church and we, we're offended when somebody does something that's against my right or my space. And we begin to define ourselves as we do in American culture by how I've been wronged and how I'm a victim. And so who's wronged me, who's oppressed me, who's got more right or privilege or prosperity or, or opportunity than I do, and therefore I'm a victim or as they're in a place of privilege. And we, we make our victimhood our identity. And what we're asking you to do in Christ is to say, surrender all that you are, even your right to be offended or your right to do things for the good of others because the cause of Christ is just that valuable. And B, when James talks about living according to the law of freedom in verse 12, he says this in chapter 2, verse 12 of James, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And that law of freedom means that you are completely free to accommodate other people and their weaknesses for the cause of Christ. You are free to do that. And it also means, and here's the big one, you are 100% free from having to take offense. You see, offense is something that you take. It's not something that's actually given. People may do something that seems offensive, but it's your decision whether or not you take and possess offense. Have you ever been treated wrongly? 
you choose whether or not to be offended. If you have a really rude store clerk and they're just nasty to you, you can choose whether or not to be offended. Or you can just kind of go, huh, I wonder what's going on in their life that would make them that bitter. And then the third part of this in James was faith without works is lifeless. And we read this in James chapter 2, verses 14 and 14. I want you to hear this. For what is good, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? You see, faith without works is dead in itself. In other words, faith without works is lifeless. So when your faith in Jesus Christ leads to you being able to live in such a way where you surrender your own rights for the best interest of those who are weaker in their faith, now you're living according to true faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's the setup for today. That kind of lays the groundwork. When we fill our minds with the things of Jesus Christ, as Paul encourages the Philippians to do, it, it, it looks this way. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatever is pure, that, that is admirable, praiseworthy, fill your mind with these things. And, and the reason being this. If those are the things that we think about, those are the ways we're going to act. And if we think with purity, then we're going to act with purity. But if you fill your minds with things that are common, that are profane, that are godless, that are unholy, those are the actions that will come out of you. And if you're filling your mind with my rights, my rights, my rights, rather than I love people and I want to act with pure intention towards everybody so that what they see in me is the love and the gospel of Jesus, then that's how your actions will come out. You hearing me on that? That's what Paul's trying to get across. And that sets us up really for what we're looking at today. So let's hear some instruction. Paul's writing to Titus. Poor Titus is assigned to the church in Crete, (laughs) like the worst assignment you could get. And so they send Titus to Crete, and this is what he's telling him as he's going there. He's saying, to the pure, Titus, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are defied. Defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. But Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. Let's not take the behavior pattern expected of a 45-year-old adult woman and apply that to a six-month-old. Now, if you're a 45-year-old woman, who'd never admit it, of course, you'd lie and say you're 30, but, but if, if, you're, if you're whining and crying and need a diaper change in the middle of church, there is something wrong with your maturity level. If you're a six-month-old and you're whining and crying because you need a diaper change, that's to be expected. And there's nothing impure about a child doing that because that's how children act. You hear the parallel? As we mature in the faith and you learn more about what Scripture has to say, there's a higher standard by which you should be living. There are character traits and behavior patterns which should typify you as a maturing person. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't know any better or you're not convicted a certain way, you're not responsible for conducting yourself the way somebody who does know better and is already convicted does. Hear what Paul's saying. The weak among us are those whose understanding has not yet been shaped by their relationship with Christ and Christian teachings. So in chapter 8 of Corinthians that Lori was reading for you this morning, you had this. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up to now that they, they eat food, sacrificed to idols, and their consciences, being weak, are defiled. 
Weak simply means this, not yet developed. I'm not a gym guy. I was when I was a younger guy, but I used to work out some at the gym when I was younger. I know you're looking at this going, are you sure? Uh, but there was a day. And, and, and at the beginning, there was only so much weight I could move, you know, when you're doing this particular workout, curling, whatever. But over time, I could do more and more and more as muscles became toned and I became stronger. I used to kayak a lot. When I first started kayaking, there were certain rivers I couldn't go on because I wasn't strong enough in my talents and my skills and my muscle development to be able to paddle on those rivers. But as I matured and got stronger, I could handle it. So here's what Paul's saying. For some of you, you're weak in your faith. You're new to the Christian faith. You may have been in church your whole life, but faith really has to do with maturity and the works now mark that maturity. And so those who are more mature have to look out for the best interest of those who are less mature. That's what this weakness is talking about. All of us are weak at some level, aren't we? All of us are maturing, right? Some of you are are gray-haired and white-haired, and you've been in the faith for 60 years, and you are children. You don't understand the word. You haven't studied it. You haven't made it a part of who you are. Yet some of the teenagers coming out of our youth ministry are huge in their Christian maturity and their ability to apply scripture to everyday decisions that they're making. Weakness doesn't have to do with age, nor does maturity. It has to do with how much you've grown in your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting across, is that the more mature must bear the burdens of the weak. So here's where this goes. A communal concept of the surrendering of one's own right for the betterment of the weak among us, those who need greater levels of protection, that's what we do. Now, I asked folks this in the first service. Why do we have handicapped parking spaces at church? This is interactive. Why why do we have them? People who need them. Eh, keep going. What do you mean? Huh? This is the law. No. Marine compliance people, I love them, right? <laughs> law enforcement. If you're in law enforcement, be quiet. Why do we have the law? <laughs> why, why, do we, why do we have the, the handicapped spaces? Because we want to enable people who don't have it as easy as you and I do. You see, they have to make a greater effort, and we want to honor that and not make it even harder by no fault of their own. This is where they are. How about we bear the needs of those who need a hand? You see, that's protecting. Why do we have fences around pools? No, we don't want raccoons in the filter because it's a mess and they smell terrible. Oh, no. We want to make sure that kids, that kids don't fall in and drown. We protect those who don't know better or those who are weak. And this is the message. Now, here it's about to get real, okay? Christians... There are things that we have to do to bear the burdens for those who are weaker in their faith. And it means that we may have to surrender our own rights sometimes in order to bear that burden of other people. What's that look like in 21st century America? Well, let's start in Wisconsin, shall we? (laughs) Alcohol in itself is not a sin. I would remind you of the first miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's Solomon's words to Lemuel. He said, strong drink is not for kings, O Lemuel, and drunkenness is not for rulers. And what Solomon is saying to Lemuel, who's going to be king, is this. You must not allow your decision-making to be impaired because of a substance. And he's saying, if we paraphrase, son, if you're drinking, 
When the time to make a solid decision arises, you may not be ready. If you're drunk and there's an emergency, you can't drive somebody to the hospital. If something dramatic happens, you can't respond well because you've allowed something else to take away your capacity as a Christian, as a woman, as a man, as a citizen, as a Christian. It's just not acceptable to be drunk. It's not acceptable even to be buzzed. So we have a rule in Souther House. It looks like this. One and done. If you've been to our house, we actually enforce that, don't we? <laughs> We're kind of strong about it. Look, one drink may be because it tastes great or it pairs beautifully. A second drink is because you're looking for an effect. Okay, come on now. Don't look at me like I'm not from Wisconsin. You know what I'm telling you, right? There's no excuse for Christians to be inebriated. There simply isn't. And, and the fact of the matter is, if there's other brothers and sisters whose conviction runs a little deeper than yours to where them, they're teetotal and they're not having any, because to them it's, it's, it's a contradiction and that's where their faith and their conviction is, then for me to enforce my rights on them is a, is a what? It's a sin. It's a disrespect of where they are. It doesn't mean they're weak. It means that we have a different connection or conviction, and I need to honor that. So I would give up my own rights the same way I would as if I had a friend who was was alcoholic and I was having lunch with them. I wouldn't have a drink around them. Why? Because it's a disrespect, because it could maybe even cause somebody to stumble. So we'll talk more about what some of those others look like. But, but now let's take it a little farther. There are other things. I grew up Baptist. What did Baptists not get to touch? Yeah, man. Why? Right. I don't know why. Apparently it can lead to gambling. But there's a lot of other things you can gamble on. I got in trouble with pool before God snatched me into some attention. But, but here's the thing. Um, I understood that at youth camp, we went one year and there were some cards and the kids were playing cards and that mean go fish or whatever heck old mate, I don't know. They were playing cards and we had some deacons went downright apoplectic. You're playing cards at youth camp, sending our kids to hell. You know, what are you talking about? They're just playing cards. Holy cow, go fish is not go to hell. I mean, what are you talking about? You know, wrong card, go to, no, no. But for them, they had a conviction about it. Now, what do we do? Okay, no cards. Jeez, I don't want to offend. It's no big deal. We'll do something else. We'll play Othello or Monopoly, I guess, with fake money, right? And capitalism. But, <laughs> but, but what we didn't want to offend through the cards. And so it's an easy thing to bear another's burdens. Okay, you ready? You got your seatbelts on? Here, here, I'm going to really, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. How about yoga pants? <laughs> okay, guys, can we be honest? I'm talking to the men for just a second. Ladies, just tune out. We'll be back to you in a minute. Do you notice? Of course. Of course. That's why they wear them. Okay? The fact of the matter is, we need to be conscious about bearing the needs of others around us and the weaknesses of others around us. Okay, ladies, tune back in. I understand you've, you've worked hard to look great. I get it. I understand. The problem is... You look great and everybody else is noticing. Or maybe you don't and people are noticing too. Just say it. So (laughs) let's think about what we're wearing and what needs or weaknesses we might need to bear for other people. Okay? We kid around. I, I you know, said to, to our family sometimes, I feel like I've got the second base with you. I don't even know you. Can, can, we, can you put something on? Can you have the shirt that comes down to here? When you're at yoga, it's cool. But other times, let's think about what you're doing and what you are saying to other brothers and, or sisters in the faith who may not be as strong and their minds may wander or their attention may be drawn. Can we bear the needs of others? 
Now, I'm not attacking you with my conviction about it. I'm just saying my kids ain't going out of the house wearing those without the long t-shirt. You do what you want, but from my point of view, I'm asking my family, let's bear the needs and the weaknesses of others. How about cigars? Is all tobacco a sin? Gee, I don't think so, but addiction to it can be, and regular use can be destructive. Let's think about where that goes and who you might offend and how far it can go. The same thing could be true of your music or your political affiliations. And what I'm simply asking us to do is this. Let's love others more than we love ourselves and our own rights. Because you're free. You're free to do or not to do. But we're free to make our decision based upon our love and our concern for other sisters and brothers in the faith. And those who may not be in the faith who by our actions may be drawn closer or pushed further away from the gospel of Jesus Christ by our unwillingness to accommodate the weak among us. You guys hearing me? What's it look like today in that message? Remain pure and sincere in your lifestyles. Surrendering your own rights is necessary for the good of your neighbor so that the gospel lifestyle is evident among you.